Thanks for tuning in to Three Strands Podcast. You're about to hear an episode from our Sunday morning worship service. To learn more about Three Strands, visit our website, threestrands.church. All right, so I'm excited to start this new series we're in, um, start kicking off today called They Say. They say a lot of stuff, don't they? Who is they? Well, they could be anybody. I've learned that in my life. They could be anybody as long as it's not the person you're talking to. It could be anybody else. They said to do something, so I have to do it. They could be politicians. They could be uh, teachers. They could be religious leaders. They could be a bunch of friends. They could be a bunch of idiots that don't know anything. But if they said it, somehow it holds some credibility. I, I made a, a little list of some things they have said over the years. Can I give you this list? Here's the list. You ready? A guy named Lord Kelvin, that's, that's an a X already in his column, Lord Kelvin, he said that x-rays will prove to be nothing but a hoax. Is that true? I don't know if that's true. They said it, though. And then there was an astronomer, an astronomer named Forrest Moulton. He said, there is no hope of man reaching the moon because of the insurmountable barriers uh, that exist to escaping the Earth's gravity. And yet we made it to the moon. They said it, but we made it anyhow. In 1880, Henry Morton, a scientist and the president of the Stevens Institute of Technology in America, said, anyone who is at all familiar with it will recognize that Mr. Edison's light bulb is a clear failure. That's what they said, right? All right, the Literary Digest in 1899 said, the, ordin- the, the ordinary horseless carriage that has been invented at present is a luxury only for the wealthy, and although its price will probably fall in the future, it will never, of course, come into as much common use as the horse or even the bicycle. And yet here we all are driving around cars, right? In 1902, Harper's Weekly wrote, the actual building of roads devoted only to motor cars is not at all practical in spite of what many rumors around the country are saying. And yet there's literally roads everywhere, right? And they said there wouldn't be. In 1902, a physicist and the director of U.S. Naval Observatory, Simon Newcomb, said, Flight by machines heavier than air is impractical and insignificant, if not utterly impossible. Computers will never be something for the masses. At best, they will serve only governments, militaries, and perhaps some large industries. Television will never catch on. Why would people ever want to sit around and watch a tiny screen? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly, right? The earth is the center of our universe. The earth is most obviously flat. They said on January 1st, 2000, that there would be a catastrophic event where all the world's computers and electronics would crash. Anybody remember that? Y2K. In 1919, Walt Disney was fired from his job at a Kansas City newspaper. According to his editor, he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. In other words, they say a lot, don't they? They say a lot. And they're not always right. In fact, they're often wrong. And scientists and government officials and teachers and even us ourselves, we say a lot of things. But we're not always right. In fact, the majority is often wrong. And the the minority is often wrong too. You can't really trust what they say. That's 
really what I've kind of come to learn. So what I'd like to do today is the beginning of this six-week series. I want to give you the big idea for the whole six weeks. If you missed everything else, you're going to fall asleep after this. This is the main idea for the whole six weeks. You'll hear us come back to it over and over again each week. But here's the big idea. You ready? Trust what God says, not what they say. You got me? Trust what God says, not what they say. If you're a note taker, jot that down, type it into your phone, stick it somewhere where you'll see it. We need to be reminded of that because we very easily believe what they say. And so we want to trust what God says, not what they say. And I've said it before, I'll say it again many times in the life of our church. I'll be saying it to the day I die, I'm sure. But the voice you listen to will determine the future you experience. And so I want to ask you today, who's got your ear? Like who gets to whisper advice or suggestions or recommendations for your life into your ear and have you be like, well, I guess it's right because, you know, they said it. Who is that voice or that collection of voices? Because it's going to determine what your future is going to look like. Now enter into our story today, Jesus. We're going to spend the next six weeks looking at a piece of a sermon from Jesus, a teaching time from Jesus. Today we call this sermon the Sermon on the Mount. It's just kind of an easy way to remember it. Really, it just means a sermon that took place on a mountain. That's all it is. It's kind of Jesus' first big teaching time in the Bible, in his public ministry. It lasts for three chapters. We're not going to look at the whole thing. If you want to read it on your own, it's in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at a chunk of it over the next six weeks. He teaches a lot of things in these three chapters, a lot about practical life, how to live, how to have a successful life, how to trust God, live for God, how to get into the kingdom of heaven. He covers a wide range of topics. He addresses some issues we need to hear, like things like, uh, hey, if you get mocked or made fun of or persecuted for following me, don't sweat it, because someday your reward's going to be great. You want to... Uh, be satisfied, then go after righteousness in your life. Pursue good things and, and right living in your life, and you'll be satisfied. If you're sad, don't worry. One day God will comfort you. He addresses a lot of different topics in this three-chapter sermon. And I want you to just kind of see the picture of Jesus on this mountainside in, Gal in Jerusalem or outside of Jerusalem. And on the mountainside, masses of people, word has spread that this miracle worker is coming to town to talk. And they're all out to kind of see the tricks, you know. And so there's masses, probably thousands of people on this mountainside listening to Jesus teach. And in that group of people listening to him are all these religious leaders. Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, rabbis, all these Jewish religious leaders and teachers. Because they've also heard of this Jesus They've also seen that he's done some miracles. They don't like him. He's kind of threatening their, um, you know, market or corner on the market of being the people in charge. So they don't really like him. But they've come out to hear what he says too. And Jesus is well aware of who's in the crowd. That it's a group of people just like us. But it also includes a lot of the religious elites, a lot of the political officials, a lot of the teachers who would be telling people how to live and, and, and how to get into heaven and what to do to make God pleased with your life. And then he kind of stops 
couple paragraphs into his sermon, and he issues a warning. And it's a warning that's going to set the frame for our six weeks together here. It's a warning that's going to set the tone for everything he's about to say after it. It's the context you need to understand the next several paragraphs of his sermon. So I want to give it to you today. Here's the warning he gives. It's in Matthew chapter 5, if you want to follow along in a Bible or on your Bible app, um, or it'll be on the screen for you too. Matthew chapter 5, and in verse 20, Jesus kind of stops his sermon, and then he gives this warning. Here's the warning he gives. Ready? But I warn you, unless your righteousness, righteousness is just a big word for right living, The right way to live. Doing the right things, right? Unless your righteousness, unless all the right things you do, unless all the good things you do is better than the righteousness of all these teachers sitting here, of all these religious leaders and scholars and the people who are experts and they know all the stuff to do to get into heaven and to live the right kind of life, unless your goodness, your right living is better than than all the righteousness of those people, of what they say to do, of how they say to live, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that's offensive. You might not see that as offensive today because we're looking at it through 2,000-year-old glasses into the past. But imagine if somebody came into our church. Where's Kenny at? Kenny, imagine. I don't know. He's here somewhere, I guess. I lost him. Well, there he is. Imagine if somebody came into our church last week when you were wrapping up your series, and right at the end of your sermon, they stood up and they're like, hey, what Kenny just said was all right, but unless you learn something more than that, you're never going to get into heaven. I mean, David and Kenny, they know some stuff about the Bible, but unless you know more than they do, unless you live a better life than that, what they said is okay, but it's just not good enough. It'd be kind of offensive. This is his warning to them. Getting into the kingdom of heaven is more than just what they say. And so what Jesus is going to do now is he's going to take six topics. We're going to look at one each week. And he's going to say, this is what they say about the topic. This is what they tell you righteousness in that topic looks like. But I'm going to say something different. And you get to make the choice each week of the six weeks whose voice you will listen to. What they say or what God says. And I want to tell you that of these six topics that Jesus picked out, they're excellent choices. Of course, you know, he's God, so of course they're excellent choices. But the first one we're going to look at today is the perfect one to start with because I think we're all going to agree on it. Now, the other five to come in the next five weeks, there could be some people sitting in our crowd be like, I don't agree with God on that one. I don't like what he has to say. I don't agree with you either. I don't know who you think you are to tell me that, all that. But today, I think we're all going to kind of agree on it. So let me read you first what they say. It's in the very next verse, verse 21. And it says, you have heard. Now, you have heard is code for they say. You got that? Anytime you read in this series, you have heard is code for they say. They say that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. And if you commit murder, you're subject, subject to judgment. Now, I, I gotta, there's some sketchy characters in our crowd. Not saying anybody's name. But I got to believe that there's probably nobody sitting here that thinks murder's cool. Like, go murder people. It's all good. I got to think we got some 
Like unanimous unity and agreement on this one, right? All right, we're not supposed to murder. I get it. And pretty much every culture on the face of the earth from history past to now has had some law governing their people that you can't just off whoever you want, all right? And so there's kind of universal agreement that murder is not okay. And this crowd that Jesus is talking to would have heard this and thought, like, that's right. We should not murder. You can trace it the whole way back to the Ten Commandments, the, the first kind of written law that God gave his people, right? In Exodus chapter 20 and uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, we get the list of the Ten Commandments, and everybody knows one of the commandments is thou shalt not kill. If you memorize it in KJV, right? Thou shalt not kill, right? You're not supposed to murder. That isn't the only time it comes up in the Bible. It comes up all throughout the Bible. You don't have to wait to the Ten Commandments. You can trace it way back to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, uh, look at this verse. It says, if anyone takes a human life, that word there for takes is the word for murder in Hebrew. It's not the word for accidentally bumping into somebody and they fall off a cliff. or It's not the word for uh, going to war and killing somebody. It's the word for intentionally, maliciously taking somebody else's life. Taking a human life. That person's life will also be taken by human hands. And that's where we get the death penalty. It's where almost all cultures on earth kind of get this idea of the death penalty. And some people in the room might be against the death penalty. Some people might be for it. But this is kind of the basis for this. comes up three or four times in the Bible, this idea of if you take a human life, society is to take your life. I don't like it either. If you're here and you're like, I don't like that, I don't really like it either, but it's what's in there. I just got to read you the truth, okay? And then we're also given the reason for that principle at the very end. For God made human beings in his own image. The reason we are to value life so much is because all humans are made in the image of God. So they are all granted value just by being born, just by being created by the universe's creator. Of course, you could back the whole way up to the very first human crime, Cain and Abel, where murder takes place in Genesis chapter 4. In John chapter 8, verse 44, uh, Jesus tells us that Satan is a murderer. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, Jesus lets us know that murder comes from our heart, doesn't come from bad parenting or society made me do it. No, he talks about murder comes out of our own heart, our own brokenness inside. Romans chapter 1, verse 29, we find out that the reason humans are allowed to murder is because God looked at him and saw that we were so evil, he just said, have it your way. You, you can go ahead and have it your way. See if that works out. And so he kind of gave us over um, to our own de debauchery, to our own like debased mind, and depraved hearts. And that's where murder comes from. And Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 21, that murder is an act of our flesh or our unregenerate heart not given over to God. So murders all throughout the Bible, but I got to think that around our room, we're pretty much in agreement that it's a bad thing. Is that safe to say? And that's what the crowd here would have thought too. This is not okay. I'm with you on this, Jesus, so far. Sounds like stuff we've heard them say before. That's what he's saying. You should not murder, and if you do, you're subject to judgment. But now, he's going to go beyond the normal, beyond the commonplace beyond what the religious leaders have taught in the past 
And keep the context in your mind that what he's doing here is pointing out that what they've taught is not enough. And here's what he's going to say in the next verse, verse 22. But I say, right, they said one thing, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Now, I, I don't know if you can, like, use your mind's eye, but just picture the look on the crowd. Because if I'm sitting there and I hear this, this is where, like, my furrowed brow comes in, and I'm like, say what? And you're looking at each other being like, did he just say that? Because that doesn't even make sense. Like, what do you mean if, if, if you're even angry at someone, you're, you're subject to judgment? It's like you're, it's the same judgment that you're subject to if you murder someone? Like, even if you're angry at them? Like, you wonder if there's people sitting around the crowd thinking like, oh, I, I'm always angry. You know, like, I'm like the Hulk. And there's other people thinking like, well, I try not to get angry, so I'll try harder. Or, but think about this for a second. Like, think about the audacity of this statement. And this is what Jesus did. He taught not as a scribe or a Pharisee or a rabbi. He taught as the Son of God with authority. It blew them away. Because they were used to people just getting up and reading the Bible to them. Listing off a list of things to do and don't do from God's Word. But here comes Jesus as if he has the right to tell you how to feel on the inside. Even if you're angry on the inside, you're subject to the same kind of judgment. This doesn't even make sense. Did Jesus mess up? Did he go too far? Was he kind of like intentionally kind of trying to be, you know, over the top so it would drive a point home? Well, I don't know, but in the very next phrase, he doubles down on it. Here's what he says in the very next phrase. If you call someone an idiot, the word there for idiot in the Greek is raka. Raka literally means like rockhead. It's a good way to think of it, like empty head, rockhead, Dummy, idiot, brainless, right? That's, don't say any of those words to your friends this week. But I'm saying that's what that word would mean. And Jesus is doubling down this idea. If you just call somebody an idiot. Now, I didn't want to do this, okay? I didn't want to do this. And I was like trying to pray all morning about this. And I was like, God, I know we all do this. But I was like, I'm trying to be as good of a person as I can. I did this on the way to church this morning. (laughs) I was like not even thinking about it. And some goofball was driving like half the speed limit in front of me. And I'm trying to get here. And I was like, you idiot. I was like, I just rocket him. Like I just used the same exact phrase in my head on this guy. And uh, in fairness to him, he was trying to eat, change his radio station, talk on his cell phone at the same time. So it's hard to drive while you're doing all that. But it's like, if you just say to somebody, you're an idiot, you're an idiot. You're guilty in court of murder. The same crime. All right, well, okay, you could like mess up once, maybe mess up twice, but not three times, right? Yes, Jesus triples down on it. Look at the very next phrase he gives. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Whoa. Whoa, Jesus, you just, like, we were like, judgment, guilty in court, hell, right? Jesus just like upped the ante on us, didn't he? That, that word there, curse there, really the word fool. If you kind of call somebody a fool, if you curse them out, who's left in the room that isn't a murderer? 
Because now we're talking about physically murdering somebody. We're also talking about getting angry at my, in my heart at them. We're also talking about calling them a name. Anybody left? And the crowd there had to be thinking that same idea, like, this is impossible. It's not possible, Jesus. What are you talking about? Who, who's a murderer? The answer is all of us. That is the answer. John states it real succinctly in 1 John 3.15. He says it this way, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. That's not like your blood relative brother. That's just like another human being. What's going on here, Jesus? This is intense. That's kind of the point. He's going to do this for all six of these things. He's like, you've heard somebody say before, I know it, you're not supposed to kill people. But I'm telling you, just resisting the action isn't enough. The real righteousness that gets you into heaven, that gets you into the kingdom of God, goes way beyond that to your attitude. And Jesus had a way of always doing this. And if you really read God's word carefully, God really thinks this way. Actions matter and they tell a story about your life. But God looks on the heart. And our attitudes on the inside are really what count. And then Jesus gives two examples. I love these examples. I want to share both of them with you. He gives two examples. Let me read you the first one. It's in the very next two verses, verses 23 and 24. And this is what he said. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar... Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now, let me modernize that for you because none of you are like, you know, dragging lambs to an altar and killing them here, okay? So let, let me tell you what he's really saying. Right? You're on your way to church and you get here and you find yourself worshiping with your hands in the air and your eyes closed and you're singing out as loud as you can, but suddenly you remember that somebody else is angry at you. Your worship is worthless. Leave the worship service. Go make things right with that person. Then come back and worship. Sometimes we'll sit around different groups or subsets of our church, leadership teams, pastors, uh, elder meetings, whatever. We'll sit around, we'll think, and, and we'll brainstorm over the years. And, and one of the things that we'll talk about a lot of times, like, how can we make our worship service better? How can we take what we do here on Sunday morning, make it more effective, more meaningful, uh, more worshipful to God? All that. You know what we never land on? If we could just convince more of the people who are here to go make things right with the people that are offended at them, and then come back and worship, our worship would be better. But isn't that what Jesus is saying here? Keep your sacrifice. Go, and you know what's crazy? He, he kind of takes it another step here because you notice at the beginning he was talking about like don't murder uh, if you're angry at somebody, if you call somebody a name. And now he's like, if somebody's even angry at you. Like, I, like what, what are you saying here, Jesus? I, I can't control what other people think of me. That's right. He's like, even if you're not angry at somebody, but somebody else has something against you. 
Go make it right. I'm thinking about my own life. I'm thinking, there's probably people out there who hate my guts. I don't even know they hate my guts. And I guess I'm not really responsible for that. And there's probably people out there that are angry at me, and I've tried to make it right, and for whatever reason, they just won't forgive me. And I don't know that I'm really responsible for that. But man, how many times is there somebody out there that I know I've just stepped on their feelings? Or I've said the wrong thing or something hurtful, and I've just thought, well, I'll just give it some time, and it'll blow over. No, Jesus is saying, go, stop what you're doing, no matter how important it seems, and go make it right. And then your worship will be restored. It's amazing. He like just keeps upping the ante on us. Here's the second example he gives in the next two verses, verse 25 and 26. When you are on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Now, I don't want to get into all like um, Israeli like legal system and all that today, but I just want to say, kind of sum up what he's saying here. You're fighting with somebody who's an enemy. You're, You're going to court with them. They're like your adversary. He's like, Settle it quickly, even if it costs you, even if you have to fall on the sword, even if you have to like pay more than you would if you saw it the whole way. Because get it settled before it's too late. And I just wonder how many of us are coming into church services with bitterness inside over something we haven't made right. How many of us are are trying to live our lives each day while holding on to a grudge? that's making our worship worthless. I wonder how many of us are like ostriches just sticking our heads in the sand about the people that we've offended or the people that we actually think inside are idiots. Listen, if you're here and you think like, I don't think any Christians are idiots, you're lying. I I know all kinds of Christians I think are idiots. All right, some of them go to church here. Just saying. So what? We don't have to be the same person to get along. You don't have to think just like I think to get along. Can I not love you? If we have to all be exactly the same and think the same way and act the same way to be loving each other and getting along, then how does God manage to love any of us? Because I don't think like him. I'd have zapped so many people dead a long time ago if I was God. I'd have given me all kinds of extra cash, free vacations, But God doesn't think like I think, but yet he still loves me. I wonder how many of us are falling guilty of these things Jesus is talking about. Oh, yeah, and then we fall back on this whole, I know we don't say it just like this, but you kind of fall back. Hey, it's not like I killed anyone. Pharisee, you've heard it said you're not supposed to kill, but I'm telling you that's not enough. It's like what we used to say when I was a kid. It's not like anybody died, Mom. <laughs> I was only driving 112. I didn't kill anybody, you know what I mean? I mean, I was such an idiot when I was a teenager. Don't drive like this, all right? Like, man, my friends and I, we would like race on like one-lane roads, passing each other and stuff. Like, it's amazing I'm even alive. And you'd always fall back at the end. I'm like, well, nobody died. Is that the standard that nobody died? Jesus is saying, no, that's not the standard. 
And I think it's easy to look at all these things Jesus is saying. And along the way, along each step of the way, this one phrase kept coming into my head as I was reading it. When he's like, yeah, don't kill, but also don't be angry at people. Also, don't call them idiots. Also, uh, uh, don't curse at them. And, and, and like, even if they're angry at you, make it right. And, and, and if you have like some disagreement, like a legal dispute, just settle it quickly, even if it costs you extra, just to kind of be out of the fight. And I think it's easy to look at all of those pieces and every one of them along the way think to yourself this phrase that kept popping into my head, which was, that's not fair. It's not fair, Jesus. I can't even get angry and get into the kingdom of God. Everybody gets angry. I can't call that guy an idiot. Did you see what he did? But, but you want me to settle quickly? I'm taking that guy to court. What about my rights? None of it's fair, it feels like. That's exactly how it's supposed to feel. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. I didn't, uh, I didn't plan this out ahead of time. I mean, I did, but I didn't ask anybody ahead of time. But I need two helpers. I forgot to ask. Michael, will you help me for a second? Will the Thrill, will you help me for a second? Come here, everybody. This is Will the Thrill. Everybody clap for Will the Thrill. Now clap for Michael. Anybody ever see the movie Reign of Fire, Matthew McConaughey? Yeah, okay. Look that up later on YouTube. You'll see. Can you guys just hold on to that? All right, now don't trip me, okay? And I'm not limboing because I'll hurt myself. Okay, put that down a little lower, a little lower. Okay, just hold it there for a second. This is what it feels like Jesus is doing. He set this bar of righteousness of right living, what it takes to get into the kingdom of God. And he's like, you've heard them say before, don't murder anybody. And everybody in the crowd is like, dude, I can get over that thing. No big deal. Righteous? I'm righteous. And then he comes along and he's like, but I say to you, don't even get angry. And you're like, don't even get angry. Lord, that's a pretty high bar. I don't know if I can do that. But I'll tell you what, I really love you, Jesus, and I've seen the miracles you've done, and I, I'm trusting you're the Son of God. So you know what? I'm going to try as hard as I can not to get angry at anybody. And you kind of you know, step your way over, and you're like, all right, I did it most of the time, Jesus. I did it. I'm not angry. And then Jesus is like, all right, but, but like, don't even like call somebody a name. That's hard to do, you know, and you're like, I don't even know if I can get over that bar, Jesus. And then he's like, and, and, and he, he, somebody's angry at you, then like, go make it right. And you're like, huh, I got to spend my whole life going and making a bunch of stuff right. I'll never get over this bar. And then he's like, and if somebody's got you in court, just give them whatever they want. No big deal. Your rights, ah, don't worry about your rights. The righteousness you need is just to give them whatever they're at. Let them take advantage of you. And you're looking, raise it up as high as you guys can raise it there. A little lower, Michael, because you're a little taller. Yeah. A little higher, Will, because you're a little shorter. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, you're left looking at this bar of righteousness. And you're thinking to yourself, I can't ever get over that bar. I can't ever get to the top of it. Thank you, guys. I'll, I'll take it back. Thank you. That is kind of what Jesus is trying to tell them but not exactly. Now I want you to use your imaginations for a second because I can't do this. It's like Jesus went all Hancock on a thing. Anybody ever see Hancock? Hancock the movie? No, there's like three of us to watch movies in here. All right. So uh, apparently I'm the sinner. I don't know. I was watching a bunch of movies. Okay, so 
It's like Jesus went all Hancock on this bar of righteousness, and he just whips it up in the air like he did that kid. Remember that kid in the movie? He throws him up in the air. And he's so high up, you can't even see him. Hancock's having a conversation. Three minutes later, kid comes down, he catches him, right? That's the bar of righteousness. Jesus is like, he takes the bar of righteousness. He flings it up in the air. It goes up so high, you can't even see the top of it anymore. And he's like, unless your righteousness is greater than all the righteousness they've been saying, unless it's like that righteousness, can you get it up there? You can't get into the kingdom of heaven. And every single person who's there and every single person who's here should be left with one inescapable conclusion that I am a murderer. And I can't ever make it over the bar of righteousness. That's his point. You've heard them say, if you just do the right thing, you're good with God. If you just don't kill anybody, God will let you into heaven. But I say God looks deeper. He wants to know what's going on in your heart. And inside of every human heart is murder, hatred, disrespect for your fellow man, thinking they're fools and they're idiots and they're worse than you. And he's driving out the idea of self-righteousness that you could ever be good enough to get into God's kingdom. He wants everybody there and everybody here to get smacked in the face with this reality. I will never be good enough for God to think I should get led into heaven. Not look at me, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't killed anybody. But no, look at me, how wretched I am. Who's going to rescue me and save me from myself? It's not fair. But I promise you, you don't want God's fairness. Because we would all be deserving of hellfire. Gehenna is the word used there in the Greek. Place of eternal burning torment. Because we're all murderers. And so instead, Jesus throws the bar so high that you're forced to look at it and admit, I can't be that righteous. And until you can admit that, you can never be rescued. You don't want God's fairness. You want God's grace. Are you with me? So there's a couple types of people sitting here right now. There's people who aren't Christians, never been Christians, and they don't even really care about the Lord or the things of God. That's their choice. But I'm just telling you, there is an eternal fiery Gehenna, a hell, waiting for those of us who think we can figure this out on our own. And I so don't want you to be there. And step one in not ending up there is realizing that you can't ever be good enough to fix your own life. That you can't ever be good enough to get into the kingdom of God by yourself. I hope that Jesus' words have smacked you in the face with that today. Not because I hate you, not because I want you to leave upset or angry, but because I love you enough that I want you to know the truth. I know what they say, but what God says is different. I know that what they say is just live a good life. 
Just be a good person. Just do some nice things. Give to charity and, and, and help old ladies cross the street. And you'll be good with God. When you get to heaven, he'll look at your life and say, does the good outweigh the bad? And if the good outweighs the bad, he'll be like, come on in, good guy. But I say it's not like that. But the Son of God says that's not the case. Can you admit you're not good enough? Because then Jesus could actually help you. Then there's the people here who are Christians. They, they've already cried out to Jesus to save them, recognizing they can't save themselves. They've said, you're the only one who's worthy of my allegiance, and so I'll follow you the rest of my life. Every one of those people in the room, for each one of us, this text should be the reminder we need to not start to think we're good enough. It's so easy to start to think, you know what? I mean, I'm better than those people. Those heathens, the ones that don't love God, the ones that don't follow Jesus. Look at what I do for the Lord. I mean, I know I mess up, but like, it's not like I kill anybody. This text, this sermonette from Jesus, it ought to smack us in the face too. And remind me, remind you, that without Jesus, I have no righteousness. I have no right living. All the good things I do are like filthy, nasty rags. And I need his grace just as much today as I needed it the day I cried out to him to save me. Are you with me? That's the real gospel. I don't care what the religious leaders have told you. I don't care what other pastors have preached to you. I don't care what your coworkers at work say or what's on somebody's desk calendar one-a-day thought for the day. I know what they say. But I'm asking you today, are you going to trust what they say or what God says? The choice, as always, the choice is yours. Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, will you bless our room right now with the courage it'll take to act on your word? The courage it'll take to say, I am not righteous. I cannot be good enough. In fact, I am a murderer in my heart. And I am guilty. And I am subject to the judgment of hell. Because that's the place where God's grace can invade your life. You can't be healed. You can't be fixed. You can't be made whole unless you're first broken. And so the question for us today on week one of this series, can we all agree that we're murderers and that we desperately need God's grace? I hope so. I hope you have enough courage and enough ears to hear the truth to take that step in your faith today. And just to cry out to God and say in your own heart, God, I am guilty. I am messed up. I am broken. I need help. And I believe that if you seek God like that with all your heart, he will find you. Because he loves you more than I do. And I want, you, I want that for you. But he loves you way more than I do. So together, let's all act in courage, respond to God's word, and go out of here today desperate for God's grace, not reliant on our own righteousness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks again for listening in on the Three Strands podcast. If you've never visited us in person, we'd love to meet you face to face. We gather every Sunday at 11 a.m. at the McCreary County Park building. We hope to see you soon.